Hi, this is Andrew Brady, your host of the Evolution of Business podcast, and I'm here with Tom Brady, the founder and chief awakening officer of the Accelerate team. But in lieu of a bio today, I'm going to do a little bit of an unconventional story. It's actually the story of the founding of the Accelerate team. And so Tom was working at Park Ridge at the time, which was then later part of Unity, now part of Rochester Regional, had a pretty successful career. And he walked into a performance review one day with the president of the hospital system, and, and the president asked him, you know what, Tom, I can tell you've lost a little bit of your passion. What, what's going on? And Tom simply replied, you know what, Tim, I just don't want to work here anymore. And so as I always tell it, I, I'm not sure how he came home and explained himself to my mom because I had two older sisters that were in high school, you know, with college bills looming. Uh, but I was seven at the time. And the way that it got translated into seven-year-old terms was there are certain things that I liked about my job and there are certain things that I didn't. And I want to do more of the things that I liked. And, and wow, that, that for me, I, I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, first of all, it made all the sense in the world as a, as a seven-year-old. Yeah, go, do, do the things that you like. Great. Uh, but also, it, it really profoundly shaped my worldview that, that work should be a source of meaning and fulfillment and fun. And also that, you know, sometimes you have to take a big risk to follow your passions. And, and that was something, you know, a lot of parents tell you to follow your dreams or you can be anything you want to be. But here's a guy who was doing it and, and taking a big risk to get there. And so, Tom, I, I just wanted to kind of open and ask you, where the heck did you get that, that courage and that, that resolve to be able to, to make that step, make that leap? I have no idea. Uh, one of the one of the things that you left out of the story is uh, Tim McCormick was my boss. The first thing he said to me is, "How can I help?" And uh, uh, Andrew and his and his little jumped out of an airplane uh, this week, and uh, you know took took a leap. And so I, I actually wrote in my response to his Facebook post about t- sometimes you don't have to jump out of an airplane to take a leap, but there'll always be people around you to help. And so I thought it was kind of it was kind of apt that that was the first thing that uh, that Tim said is how can I help? Um, but the, the 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 bottom line was is I had lost the the my passion to be doing the work that I was doing. I was there for 21 years and, and I'm the kind of guy that every three to five years has to have a new challenge. And I was into this last challenge uh, for about three or four years. And as the saying goes, I had some ideas that my, uh, my contemporaries didn't want to do. And so after a couple of years of uh, losing some battles, um, I decided. Uh, I decided that uh, I really had to start thinking about uh, a change. So I actually talked to a bunch of people that have left the corporate arena uh, that I that I knew that was on the board of one of uh, you know one of the many companies of the health system. Got some got some ideas, but probably the most uh, the most impactful was an exercise that uh, we did with a company that I brought in uh, to do team building for our executive team because we definitely needed it. I was a member of the team, so I really uh, couldn't facilitate it. We really needed a new person. And it was a concept called unique ability that actually a consultant named Dan Sullivan up in Toronto, the strategic coach, had created. 
And so we did this unique ability exercise, and I came up with my unique ability statement. And I looked at it and said, uh, that's interesting. I can see how I was making a living doing that. How do I do the same thing in whatever my new endeavor is? And what would you call it? And after several months of thinking about that and planning, it became, uh, oh, that is a coach. And I happened to be in the executive level, and I decided I wanted to coach executives that, you know, back in the mid-'90s, it was a relatively new concept. And one of the gifts Park Ridge gave me was in my last job assignment, I actually developed the leadership development process that has morphed into the evolutionary leadership process that it is today. And so when I, when that moment happened, um, it, I, I didn't go into that meeting thinking I was going to resign, but I did. And I always joke that I'm not, uh, I'm not a religious person. Uh, I'm more of a spiritual person these days, but I had my first really spiritual experience of, I said, I, I don't want to work here anymore. And I was in total calm. Of course, I left the office and I wasn't particularly calm because I had to go home and, and break it to Elaine. But Elaine, um, Elaine has been such a wonderful partner. And uh, I don't remember exactly, but it's not like she says, you're crazy. What the heck's the matter with you? She just said, well, okay, let's let's go. So between Tim offering some real help and my wife being supportive, uh, it turned out to be uh, the best thing that ever happened. Great. Well, one of the other things that I tell sometimes following up on that story was that shortly after the conversation where you told me there were certain things that you liked and certain things that you didn't and you wanted to do more of the things that you liked, uh, you know, there was a conversation where I remember talking, uh, getting getting sat down sometime later than that, saying, you know what, Andrew, there may have to be a few birthdays and Christmases where we have to uh, scale back a little bit. And uh, and in those Christmases of austerity never materialized. You know, you, you were able to take off pretty quickly with Accelerate. So um, is that just a, an example of you know, how, how living your purpose can, can really start to open up doors and possibilities? Or tell us about kind of, was it a struggle to get started? Did, did things start to flow in? Um, what was it like really starting from scratch? Well, again, that's where the, that's where the help came in. I basically had six months of full salary in my job to kind of button things up in what I, in what I was doing. Cause there were some things I was doing that I, you know, I really, really enjoyed. And I, this was going to be the work that I was going to do outside of, uh, outside of Park Ridge. And then, um, at that moment of time, it was actually October 1st, 1996. I got a bridge contract to, uh, making a percentage of my salary to continue, uh, that kind of work within the health system. We had just merged with St. Mary's Hospital, so I was working with the merge team. We had just started a physician group practice, which was very new at the time, so now all physicians had to lead, so I worked with them. And, uh, and that ended up lasting about, about 15 months. 
The other thing was, is I kept saying to myself <laughs> that uh, if what I am doing isn't of value and all the people that I know in this community, I've got to be okay. And that actually is what is what turned out. It What we do is of, I think, tremendous value. Uh, I didn't know the potential of it at the time, but I was able to talk to people I know that would either say, gosh, we're, we're, we're interested or somebody else may be interested. And being, a, being an extrovert, being an, out, uh, an outgoing person, I wasn't afraid to talk to people I know anyway. And uh, so I had a combination of the bridge and the uh, and again that belief that I was doing something of value and and the people I know will help me. The only other interesting part was is at about the middle of 1997, Tim said to me, "Hey, we're going to want you to continue into 1998." And I said, "Great." That was again a little bit longer of a period of 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 uh, security, I suppose, safety and security. And then about two months later, the uh, the bottom fell out of the health uh, the healthcare field. Everybody started losing money, and Tim brought me in the office in October of that year. And I figured, okay, he's going to cut me back a little bit. And he uh, and he said, Tom, we're going to have to cut you off totally in January, which was like three months away. And I I remember thinking to myself, fine, I'll be fine. Uh, now I'm truly on my own. It was actually quite exciting to uh, now, uh, you know, be totally responsible for myself from a, from a job standpoint. Because my dad worked at Kodak for 47 years. Nobody in my family ever was an entrepreneur. I didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. And all of a sudden, I was an entrepreneur. Great. Well, one of the things, you know, if, if we fast forward a few years... Uh, you know, started to get some stability and, and, and really, uh, I think you should be very proud of, of this feather in your cap of, of really helping to create uh, what came to be known as Wegmans Leadership University. And over the course of the last 18 years, you know, having close to 300 of, of their senior team come through this 15 month coaching program. Uh, tell us how, how that, how that developed. What, what was it about, about, starting to be able to work with Wegmans that, that you were able to show them a vision that they really connected with? Well, that is another interesting story from the standpoint of uh, the people that you know and talking to people that you know because uh, uh, Jack DePeters is, is the gentleman that brought me into Wegmans and he was a neighbor and he had children, girls the same age and he's known Andrew since he was a little boy. And uh, then he moved away and got the big promotion at Wegmans. And he called me um, in uh, 2001 and said, I've got this uh, touchy situation and uh, that I'd like to talk to you about. Is this what you do? Because we, we, we both were very hardworking guys and we rarely talked about work. We wanted just to, you know, be neighbors and stuff like that. So Jack brought me in and... Uh, and so I, I uh, got engaged in that, in that situation, and I said, I'll be happy to do this if you let me tell you what I really do, what I really want to do. And so when I told them what I really want to do, uh, certain circumstances internal to Wegmans uh, 
happened that made it a fertile field for Jack and I to go ahead and start a couple of uh, a couple of classes, uh, a couple of. Uh, of uh, leadership retreats as part of our 18-month leadership process. The only other thing that uh, is of interest in that story, I think, is about six months before, I had been doing our leadership process pretty much on a on a one-to-one basis, a couple of hours every couple weeks. And I said, you know, this would be much more effective if it started with a with a leadership week, a cathartic leadership week. So, like I say, about six months before I put out that intention, uh, Jack calls me on the phone, and it becomes a reality. So that uh, that led to uh, um, continuing to do. Uh, leadership weeks. And when we were real busy before I decided to slow down, uh, we were doing three or four a week and they were partly Wegmans people and outside people. Three or four a year. Hmm? Three or four, three a, or year. four a year. And uh, so we were, you know, we were real busy, but this was really the, this was really the, the work that, that I love to do. And, uh, and so that, uh, that, that was how we got started with, uh, with Wegmans, and then they wanted to do they wanted to do uh, work for uh, the middle managers and and the new managers, and so they took some of the tools and processes that we use, and 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 you know we we co-developed uh, um, the lower quote unquote lower levels of Wegmans Leadership University. Yeah, creating a, an aligned vision for for leadership and leadership development is a, is a really important thing in, in a large company, and and that's something certainly that you pioneered with Wegmans was doing that work with the senior team, helping them then deliver internally some of the programs for for mid level managers. And so when when we're talking about Wegmans Leadership University uh, in the retreat that you're mentioning, essentially it starts off with getting to know your coach. Uh, you know, every every, uh, every participant is assigned a a coach. And, and works through a, an assessment process, learns a little bit about their leadership and communication style. It's a way for, for that coachee to learn a little bit about themselves. It's a way for the coach and the coachee to start to build a relationship. And then they come to this retreat where really the focus is on what is most important to me? What's, it's evolved to become called the inner compass process of, of really getting clear on your passions and your values and your unique ability, that same unique ability that, that was really important to you in starting your, uh, your entrepreneurial journey. And then they get some 360 feedback to say, how am I doing? And, and then finally, by the end of the week, we put together a plan for their development. And then, you know, oftentimes many people walk out of a, of a retreat with all the best of intentions and they get back to the office on Monday and they have a week's worth of piled up emails. And by about Monday afternoon, they've forgotten all of their great intentions. And so that's part of the, the power of the process as well is that uh, you or, or I or whoever the, their coach is, is coming, knocking on their door every month to hold them accountable and help them to troubleshoot and work them through some issues. Issues. Um, so that's called the evolutionary leadership process, or you know, as they say when they when they Wegmanized it, we called it Wegman's Leadership University. But it's uh, it's more or less the same process. But it was something that uh, started started around 2001, uh, correct? And and then in 2005, Wegman's was named the number one of Fortune's best companies to work for, and and you got a, a pretty special uh, testimonial from Danny Wegman when he said that. One of the reasons we made it to number one was was our work with the Accelerate team. So 
just try to, can you even describe what that feels like to, to get a, a testimonial like that? Well, to be honest with you, I wanted to be the best. And I wanted to do the best I could to 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 be the best. So that was, to me, one of, uh, you know, just the, 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 the standing ovation for accomplishing what I had started out to do. Because when I... When I start, first started to decide how I was going to differentiate myself in the in the marketplace, because I'm just, I'm just a little guy, and here you got we, you got big big uh, the Center for Creative Leadership was what I called my competition. Of course, it wasn't, but you know what do they do? They're they're known worldwide for for what they do, and there were a couple of other organizations that 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 did that. So I studied them and I studied what they did and how they did it. And it really boiled down to what you mentioned, Andrew, is for the most part, you go to those places, you, uh, you meet, you meet your instructor for the first time. The week is full with, has about four or five instructors. When you get your 360 data, which is basically asking everybody around you what to do, they bring out in a whole bunch of other people you don't know to, to debrief it. And then at the end of the week, they said they say, uh, well, we'd, we'd like for you to uh, accept some coaching, but they, by their own admission, I mean, the Center for Creative Leadership wrote the papers about they were about 5 to 10% successful in getting people for the follow-on coaching. And I said to myself, well, that's because there was no relationship made with with these folks, deep relationship. So I suppose I'm a relationship guy. So the two months before the leadership week is a huge relationship building. Obviously, the, the week together is not only deepening our relationship with the person we're going to follow, but then deepens a relationship in a, in a very special way with uh, with their co-participants and then it makes the it makes the the follow-up um a very natural a very natural occurrence and speaking of the follow-up one of the things i know that is a big focus for the leaders that are going through the process is then helping them to coach the folks that they're working with you know to to help to bring some of these same ideas and processes and systems back down uh, you know, to the people that, that are on their team to start to create that alignment, kind of cascade it down every level of the organization. So tell me a little bit about why you thought it was so important to teach leaders to be great coaches. Well, we're, many leaders are not naturally uh, great coaches. Some are. I, I happen to be a leader where coaching was one of my core competencies. It takes a lot to be a, a, a good leader, and that happened to be what helped me excel in, 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 my own, in my own leadership. So to me, it was very natural. But for others, it isn't so natural. So, the, so one of the ways that we address that is by the, uh, the behavioral assessment that you mentioned, one that I, one that I picked. And the reason I picked it, it was very straightforward it actually, uh, you know, within with a ten minute assessment, you can get a report of in of great depth, and not only that, it's very easy through what we call a success discovery process to help that person get 
a lot out of this this one uh, assessment. Secondarily to that, however, it's that straightforward that we can teach that executive to sit down with their folks and do the same thing. So they may not feel naturally able to do it, but with that structure and the fact that we're coaching people again during this 15, 18-month period, and we're, we, we actually help them with the first one in particular, the second one, because we ask them to do three during this period. So by the time that third person comes along, we're hardly involved at all other than saying, hey, it's time to do an assessment on your, on your third person. And so, so it helps them start to have a different kind of conversation. And the biggest feedback, I suppose we shouldn't have been surprised by this, but the biggest uh, feedback that we got is from the people that uh, were the recipient of their boss doing that with them, taking that much time to talk about them. And, I've, and they, they just couldn't say enough for how important that, that was, which just uh, reinforces your time with your people talking about stuff is like gold. Yeah, yeah. Time spent. There's, there's really no substitute for it. We all get, we all get the ha- same 168 hours in the week, and so the way that we uh, dole those, dole those hours out can be, can be very uh, impactful for for the folks that we're coaching and that we're leading. So I want to uh, talk about one of the other things that that Wegman's allowed you to do. Um, you know, by by working with Wegman's, it gave you certainly a, a level of stability that sometimes solopreneurs can struggle with the, the ups and downs and the feast or famine. Uh, but but having Wegman's and and some more regular business able uh, enabled you to start to grow even more. And actually, uh, it was shortly after signing Wegman's that you ended up uh, actually. Hiring, hiring your wife essentially. That's so right, a new recruit. So that that could be something that's that's fraught with with challenges as you're as you're working through something like that. So tell me a little bit about what it's like to uh, to have spent the last, gosh, now fifteen years uh, working alongside your wife. I had many people say, "You think your marriage is going to survive?" And I says, "You know, I don't really know." But uh, the the bottom line was. Uh, my wife's name is Elaine. Elaine was in a job that she had gotten a tremendous amount out of, but it was it was time for her to make a change, and she was not happy. And so I I begged her I begged her to quit, and she would always say to me, "Well, who's going to pay for health care?" And I said, yeah. "And so if you're a entrepreneur, you know who's going to pay it. You're going to pay it." And so I said, "We're going to pay it." But, you know, you're so used to having a benefit package that it sometimes ties your hands. So anyway, she finally quit. And she actually, which is kind of a standard operating procedure, if you're part of the Brady family, you participate in Leadership Week. So she came through uh, as a participant for Leadership Week. And the inner compass that Andrew mentioned is a very introspective process about what do you really, 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 really want and going after it. So she she initially just came in to do the books and do the background work. Uh, but after she came through Leadership Week, she determined that the part of the job she liked as a HR manager was the people side, which is pretty self-evident. But still, the coaching was the part 
that she enjoyed the Mokes. So I says, well, why don't you join me as a coach? We've got plenty of work, and uh, it would be awesome. So that's really what happened about a year uh, after after she made the made the transition uh, made the transition herself. And and like I said, I've I, I have two daughters. Uh, one uh, one was uh, just graduated from college. The other uh, was, uh, I think, a sophomore, and they both came through Leadership Week. And uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who uh, uh, really didn't know what she wanted to do, she went to college for uh, bio. What did she do? Bio chem. Chemistry. Yeah. So. The story goes is uh, the first year decided she didn't like chem, and the second year she decided she didn't like bio. So now what the heck am I going to do? And her mom, uh, my ex-wife, happened to be a teacher who got burned out very early in her career and always said to Laura, you don't want to be a teacher, you don't want to be a teacher. But she came out of leadership week saying, I am meant to be a teacher. And to this day, she is an ex- she is a special, special teacher. I'm so proud of her. Uh, but that's the kind of thing. The earlier you can get people to start to look at these things, the better decisions they make about what are they, how do they want to live their life, how do they want to make a living doing something that they love. Great. So as as we continue to uh, fast forward closer to the present day. Uh, it was 2010 when I graduated from from Cornell, and and you were thinking that that maybe I'd I'd join you, and and you know I had always talked about wanting to join the Accelerate team, uh, but also felt like you know I, I had this this paradigm in my head of you had spent 20 25 years in a in a career before doing the the coaching and leadership development work. I thought I needed at least a little bit of outside experience, and so that's what I, I went to do, and, and was working in the management training program at Wegmans for a few years. Uh, and, and as I say, I was home for Christmas. I got the nudge that uh, from you that, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to retire. So if you really want to do this and, and learn it from me, it's it's now or never. And, and you, you never pushed me hard and, and almost to a fault wanted to make sure, you know, that you let me know that there's no reason I couldn't start my own similar kind of a business somewhere down the line. But uh, that if I wanted to join and learn from you directly uh, that you'd, you'd give me a five-year transition plan. And so we're, we're now six and a half years into that and, and you know, held pretty, pretty true to the five-year transition plan. Uh, but in terms of our work together, uh, a lot of it is really correlated with with conscious capitalism and, and kind of our, our awakening to conscious capitalism. It was you were coming to help move me back to Rochester, actually, so that we could we could work on on accelerate and start that transition plan. And we just so happened that that one of your colleagues gave gave you a call and said, hey, I'm going to this. I'm speaking at this conscious capitalism conference in Boston. I think you'd really enjoy it. And it just so happened that you it was the Thursday and Friday before the weekend. You were already coming to visit me and bring me bring me back to Rochester. So it seemed like a lot of the stars were aligned. But conscious capitalism, you know, it's all about those those purpose driven businesses and, and businesses that focus on the stakeholders rather than just prioritizing stockholders. Uh, and, and that really seemed to be something that gave gave you and I really an extra bit of energy for moving forward and for a vision for the future of Accelerate. But I, I, I think as well, we talked about, I, I coined the term, we are the unconscious conscious capitalists. You know, we are the folks that always believed in doing business this way, but but maybe never uh, you know, articulated it in such a such a concise way, or used some of the terminology of conscious capitalism. But 
it was something certainly from from you and probably um, by extension from me just being steeped in it growing up uh, learning from you was was that business has a role in the world to play beyond just making profits and beyond greed. So tell me a little bit about your sort of philosophy around what what role do you think business really could or should or, or needs to play in today's world? Yeah, the whole exposure to conscious capitalism is just one of those uh, one of those synchronistic events of helping because Andrew was coming on board and uh, that the timing was you know kind of crazy amazing because I mean we had a U-Haul full of his stuff and we went to this conference and it was like wow this is a group that we you need to get to know and at that point they had uh, they had no chapters and they would didn't actually really talk that much about it. And so I said to Andrew, we're going to go back to Rochester and create a chapter because I feel so strongly that working with Wegmans, they don't call themselves conscious capitalists. They they uh, aspire to the best places to work and best places to work. I, you know, I, there's many brothers and sisters of conscious capitalism. That's one. Uh, B Corp is another. Employee-owned uh, uh, organizations is you know is another. Uh, there's there's several movements, so to speak, that are all very very similar. I happen to like conscious capitalism because I kind of thought it encompassed a, a broad umbrella of many of of many of those organizations. But the bottom line was I wasn't happy working where I was working. And I worked with wonderful people. I loved them. But we did not create a great place to work. Uh, we were successful. We did a lot of did a lot of wonderful things but the bottom line was i became aware that leadership and culture and caring and 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 caring for people helping them uh reach their potential was really part of what everybody's job is including including the company and uh and pretty much we were more into self-interest at that time so again I had my own experiences, certainly as a young man, with jobs that were terrible that you just did for a paycheck. And then you read things about two-thirds of the people in the world are, uh, uh, that do work, work for, work for a paycheck and not because they love what they do. And I, and I just thought that was you know kind of sad. And I have come to the realization over my lifetime that that you got to love what you do and then find uh, people that uh, you can serve in doing that thing that uh, you love what you do. And so that, in a, in a sense, is what, it's what conscious capitalism is all about. It's sound business practices. And I, I know I have an undergraduate degree in business, so I get all that. And you can't, you 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 know, you you got to have customers. You got, but you got to take care of your employees. You you have to have sound processes. You have to have products that 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 are able to be adapted to the marketplace. All those, you know, revenue streams. All those things are extremely important. But they're not enough. People want more than that. They want to be able to contribute. And pretty much the way the system is is uh, is set up is there's a few owners. 
and everybody else works for the owners. And you ought to be happy to have a job. That was certainly how I was brought up, is you ought to be happy to have a job. And uh, and so the, the conscious capitalist companies are looking at ways to include everyone, include everyone in decision-making and everyone in 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 the future and innovation. And this creates for them a uh, – uh, it, it really answers their deepest personal motivations. And that's really what your book is about uh, that's coming up is really – Around the um, you know the the three core factors of human motivation, and it's important that that companies understand what those are and tries to address it. Yeah, it's really interesting as you're talking. I it, it just seems, and and a lot of times actually, I think when you talk about conscious capitalism, people seem to get it. You know, it it seems to resonate that yeah, there's there's as you mentioned the Gallup numbers of the levels of disengagement. And, and all these sorts of things, and people just are clocking in and clocking out and not passionate about the work that they're doing. Uh, and, and then whether you look at the best companies to work for or whether you look at the conscious capitalism companies, it turns out that, ironically, by not focusing on the bottom line, these companies end up making a lot more money. So I guess I, I'm curious from your experience with working with a variety of companies and industries and, and really doing this long before it was it was you know in the mainstream because you know today you can't open up a Forbes or a fortune without them talking about well-being and employee engagement and those sorts of things but you've been doing it a, a lot longer than that so what do you think keeps more businesses from adopting a more purposeful you know conscious capitalism approach I know at, at a certain point maybe they didn't realize it but now the studies are out there that are showing that it does lead to a bottom line success well, one of the things I liked about the conscious capitalism movement, it was uh, it started and and developed by leaders. It wasn't consultants. It wasn't anybody else. It was leaders who came to the realization at a certain point when you have everything, as quite frankly, I have certainly got to that point where I had I had everything that I wanted. I had a house, I had a wonderful family, I drive a nice car, yada, yada, yada. And uh, back in, I believe, the 50s was a woman named Peggy Lee that had a song called, Is That All There Is? <laughs> and in a way, that's kind of what happens. Is that all there is? Well, of course, it isn't. It's now that you have been blessed with, this, with uh, all these wonderful things, it's time to give back. It's time to to really start to serve others. And again, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing that for yourself so that you don't have to worry about that and you can really focus on now, let let me do things that are that are going to be more uh, uh, beneficial, uh, you know, for the common good. And so conscious capitalism is really about the common good. And it started with, uh, uh, pretty much started with the stakeholder orientation, which is all stakeholders need to uh, kind of have equal footing or a win-win relationship. And business, and here's kind of an, also an answer to your question, why has it been so hard? It's because the system is set up for investors uh, to rule the day on getting as much money as possible. 
And so that stakeholder orientation was, hey, you know, there's also things people called employees, suppliers, uh, the environment, you know, your community that are that's that that also needs part to be part of that equation because one winner means everybody else is a loser. And so that was one of the fundamental parts that I really I really liked because I think that starts to talk about the common the common good. And again, so the reason it's been so hard is because I went to business school. That's what we were taught. We weren't taught all this soft stuff, this squishy stuff, even leadership development when I started was was determined to be the 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 the, the woo-woo soft stuff. Granted that that has changed uh, over the last 20 plus years we've been doing it, but it's really that 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 we're we are all grown up. We all grew up around that. The other so now you've got younger people coming on board which we were all young at one point. We were all young and idealistic. I just happened to be a long-haired, crazed motorcycle hippie. But uh, I wanted to save the world. But, you know, I had to go out and get a job, and I had to make a living. And so I was enmeshed in that that system. And now the millennials, so to speak, and even some of the Xers are saying, is that all there is? Uh, and, and, and indeed, now they're there are other avenues and, 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 and other businesses that are starting to talk a broader game in satisfying business needs and satisfying human needs. So that is what's most encouraging. My, my, my joke is that I'm trying to, I'm trying to end child abuse uh, in, the, in the form of crappy jobs that they do just to make a living and be miserable. Yeah, the the ownership structure that you mentioned is is really interesting to me. You know, I I think that uh, there's some new experiments with different ways to have ownership. Uh, you know, we actually had Kate Washington from from Own Rochester on the on the podcast. They're really working on how you can start to think about uh, you know employee owned cooperatives and how you can help employees to be to be owners of companies. That's certainly certainly one way to to go about it. I know that in Germany. Uh, they have a mandated in their in their corporate charters that a s- certain number of employees need to be represented on the board, so that employees are one of the stakeholders with a seat at the board. And then, and then of course, when you're talking about the climate and the environment, you know, you, they never you're never going to have somebody speaking uh, on behalf. The, the, the climate can't sit at the table, so you have to be mindful as as the people around the table of how you're how you're impacting the the climate and the planet as well. Um, but the other thing that I that I kind of was thinking about as you were talking was there's this kind of old school mentality of uh, kind of the the Andrew Carnegie gospel of wealth of you know accumulate your wealth and then you know it was wonderful that he was able to able to give a lot of it away and he's still got a lot of things named after him to this day um, but but I think about that a little bit like I think about people who wait until retirement to uh, to to actually go have fun or do anything and and you and I actually both know a neighbor who passed away shortly after his retirement just a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, and, and sometimes those sorts of things happen, or some people never make it to retirement because of health issues or accidents or things that happen. And and so rather than business being this accumulator of wealth and then being able to go donate it, 
uh, donate it away, or sometimes that's it becomes like a bolt-on strategy to give back. And and I see the way I see conscious capitalism is more how can we do how, how can we do our business and really bake doing well into our business model. You know, Tom Shoes they give a pair of shoes away to to young people who can't afford them all over the world every time they sell a pair. So you buy one and you, and you know that you're giving one away. And and so baked into the business plan is this give back mentality. So I, I'm wondering if if you have any advice for people who are maybe interested or maybe they see themselves as they, they've always been thinking about, oh, one day I'll get enough money that I can start giving back or, or one day my business will be stable enough that I can start to you know, have a purpose beyond profits. And, and we both know that you, know, you do need profits to survive. You got to keep the lights on. No money, no mission. Um, but I think, I think we limit ourselves a lot of times from adopting a more conscious capitalism approach because we think we're just not there yet or the profitability is just not there yet. Um, so from, from your perspective, what, what could leaders do or, or what could companies do to start moving in the direction? Because as you and I both know, it's an evolution. But how can, how can we start to encourage companies to pursue this or at least start to get curious about pursuing a more conscious capitalism approach that isn't the one day I'll give back, but is the let, let me figure out how to give back while I'm organizing my business and while I'm conducting business? Actually, I think there's probably not a better time to ask that question because I, I think there are more answers. Back when the first kind of prelude to conscious capitalism, the book uh, Firms of Endearment came out. Wegmans happened to be in that, so that's why I read it. But that was in 2007. But then John Mackey and a gentleman named Raj Sisodia, who basically co-authors many of the, many of the books, uh, wrote Conscious Capitalism. And so that really describes some of the things Whole Foods and other people do within those, those, those areas. And then Firms of Endearment 2 came out. So up until now, it's, it's been read a book, uh, maybe go talk to some of these companies. You know, benchmarking is the you know, familiar phrase to go find out what they're doing. Part of the problem with that is they may have been doing it for 10 years and you just can't mimic them. Uh, but but that being said, uh, recently, over the last year or so, a group of, of us in the chapter leaders group, and again, we didn't mention that there's some 40 official chapters and and 40 more chapters that are being developed worldwide and we get together because I believe, I believe the real work is going to get done in the chapters. But that being said, uh, we developed a tool called the Activator. Um, it coincided with a, a brand new book by Raj Sisodia uh, and, and a couple of others called The Conscious Capitalism Field Guide. And it was really put together to be the how to get started. So uh, I don't know. I think it's 350 pages. It's quite a quite a big book, quite a large document. So uh, so I we we actually have uh, several. I think we got 90 90 copies in our chapter to, that we'd love to sell. But uh, um, I joke when I give it away and say, "Do not read this book." Other than the first 45 pages, which is a nice overview 
of conscious capitalism and a couple of CEOs that have that have uh, started uh, started that process. But then there's this uh, activator that actually asks questions about how are you doing within the four tenets of uh, of purpose, stakeholder orientation, conscious culture, and conscious leadership, and you can answer those questions. So you got to be curious. You can answer those questions, and based on what those questions are, you actually have references to go to a specific part of the book. So that's why I joke, don't read this whole book, because you give it to most people, they're going, how the heck am I going to read this book? So you can read the intro if you're not already familiar, but then you can you can see where is a logical spot to start. Now, we happen to do that with our CEO clients. It's even more important if you can do it with this with your senior leadership team so that people are starting to understand a little bit about what these tenants are, but more importantly, we chose what would be a great place to start and then do you know then read all the books and go visit the places and 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 try some of those folks or or hire somebody to help you but like I say I think now is a very exciting time we're going to be putting together a facilitator process so that people can uh, can learn how to facilitate this with anybody for that matter. And within our, our local chapter, we every meeting we have, we try to reference the activator and we're going to be talking more so with this company about purpose or more so with this company about stakeholder orientation and and give away free copies of the activator so that people can look at it and say, oh, okay, I'd be interested in getting better, because I think that's what conscious capitalism is really, really all about. When I'm doing really great as a company in the traditional measures, now it's time to say, how can I get better? How can I get better at serving the world? Uh, even if I think I'm already doing it, how can I get better? And so that continuous learning, that continuous improvement is probably one of the parts of this, the CEOs or the leader's DNA that get attracted to conscious capitalism. Great. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great way to, to wrap up is just to kind of talk about a few of the, the things that are out there for people to get started on their journey. So one being uh, there are several books, uh, the I, I always recommend Firms of Endearment. It was the very first one. It's got a lot of great case studies and great stories from companies. Uh, as you're mentioning, there's there's now there's then a conscious capitalism book that was more around the Whole Foods mission and the Whole Foods story. And now we have this conscious capitalism field guide that is hopefully more of that how-to manual. As you're saying, it's pretty dense. It's kind of a, a textbook, but there is a, a conscious capitalism activator out there where they can learn maybe where's the best place or the best few chapters for them to get started based on where they're at in their journey. Uh, additionally, we have you know our conscious capitalism chapter locally. So about every month, we'll tour a local business that has a, a purpose-driven, uh, triple bottom line, conscious capitalism, B Corp type of mentality, and and then sometimes learn from social entrepreneurs or, or do other other things. We have coming up one that w- that we're going to talk about, kind of more conscious investing and social responsible investing, and so that's intended to be a building that community of people with like minds that can start to learn from each other and grow together. 
so you can go to consciouscapitalismrock.org to learn more about the local chapter, consciouscapitalism.org to learn about the national organization. Uh, in addition to our monthly meetings, we have an annual conference. Uh, it's going to be probably in the spring. We're just kind of getting the planning stages going. And then the Conscious Capitalism International Conference uh, is going to be in Phoenix in 2019 and in April, I believe. So there's a great ways to get started. They also have a, a Conscious Capitalism uh, CEO Summit in the fall. So CEOs can go in a, in a smaller format to, to learn and grow together uh, at the, in the International Conscious Capitalism International. So we are really trying to build this movement uh, at, a, at a grassroots level and, and build this community of like minds to, to learn and grow together. Uh, so that really can give you give you some ways to get started. Certainly, you can reach out to Tom or I anytime you'd like to learn a little bit more and if, grab a cup of coffee or anything like that. Um, but, but Tom, just final question is, is you're looking ahead um, for your vision for Accelerate, for Conscious Capitalism, our chapter, or, or for, for life. What, what's next for you? What, do you, what, are you? what are you thinking about? Well, the, the life part is the hard part, I suppose, being a uh, type A personality that's basically worked very, very hard for a long time. And, and transitioning has been, you know, quite difficult. Thank heaven that uh, you have decided to join because I think, uh, I think that's made it a lot easier for me because I'm so passionate about and, and so grateful in many respects that uh, I was able to, you know, make this contribution in my in my work and that you're you're going to take it. And as uh, second generations do, I think they take it to the next level. So I don't have to I don't have to worry. I know I don't worry at all, but I, I don't worry about that at all. You're 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 going to be uh, in, in great shape from the conscious capitalism standpoint, I think uh from our local chapter, um, we are exploring the opportunity with uh, some other people, including one of the board members of Conscious Capitalism who runs a business uh, in Utica and uh, has talked to me about uh, uh, creating an upstate uh, chapter as opposed to just the uh, Rochester area chapter. And then after we get them going, which would be kind of Utica, Syracuse, going to Buffalo, going to Albany, you know, the kind of the kind of typical throughway development that most companies do uh, in New York State. But I think uh, other than uh, developing uh, the chapters, helping chapters be successful, I think the biggest thing from a conscious capitalism standpoint is finding relationships, deep relationships with those other, what I call brothers and sisters, uh, the B Corps of the world, great places to work, and really talk about what do they bring to the dance, what can we bring to the dance, and how do we really, really work together. So that, and 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 that's actually out of our own personal experience because, hey, we would love to have more people join Conscious Capitalism. But, you know, they, when we talk to them, we go, well, I, like, you know, like I said, we're a great, we're a great place to work or, or we're a B Corp or we are, we're an ESOP. And so right now we haven't even, we haven't got the answer, but because of that, it really poses the question. And I believe there are some really I low hanging fruit ideas that, could could uh, 
could get started. But I think the national chapter and then some of our local chapters kind of have to take the lead of this is what we've done to bring some of these groups together. How do we how do we do that? Because uh, again, we're all we're all on the same team, and how do we uh, uh, how how do we not duplicate? efforts. So those are kinds of kind of the things. And as far as I'm what I'm gonna do personally is uh um the inner compass the inner compass process was a life changing uh thing for me. And uh and so it's it's really uh, Andrew has developed an online course I happen to be again a relationship guy so I think it would be even more fun if you could get a group together to do the inner compass. And so I've actually started a little pilot group just to learn, just to, you know, use Zoom and and uh, have six or seven meetings and have them share stuff. And uh, because those first three or four days of uh, first two or three days of leadership week where we do it is magical. And so I'm I'm playing around with that. And so I'm still kind of making making a contribution. I help you out when you ask me. Uh, travel a little bit, uh, spend time with my family. Uh, you know, life is good. Great. Well, that's a great place to uh, to end it off. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, Tom. It's really, uh, really, truly an honor and, and a pleasure to to talk with you on this. And uh, we'll have to maybe have you back in a few years to see how Conscious Capitalism chapter is going and how some of those future plans are. But uh, thanks again for coming on, Tommy. Love you. My pleasure. I love you too. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.